If I have not met you, I would love to meet you. My name is Nick Sestola, so I am the worship director. I also run our care ministry here at True Life. Uh, good thing Caleb's coming back in two weeks, which would be awesome, so we're excited to have him back. You guys don't have to listen to me and Adam preach for another three months, praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so we're in the middle of a love series. So we've been talking about love. Last week, Adam talked about loving from the heart. And this week, I have the privilege of what does it mean to love through the way we talk, love through speech. And when I was thinking about this topic, um, a story came to mind. So I became a Christian, end of middle school, got plugged into a church, early high school. Um, and shortly after getting plugged into a church, I started volunteering in a junior high youth group of like 100 7th and 8th grade kids. I was a high school volunteer. I remember one time at church camp, I don't know, maybe you guys have fond memories of church camp. Maybe you have horrible memories, so I apologize if that's the case. Um, you know, one time at church camp, I did something, I can't remember if it was either selfish or dangerous, most likely both. And this old guy named Dave, who was kind of a mentor to me and a lot of other high school kids and college kids, uh, he took me aside and he said, hey, do you see what you just did here? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, hey, that's not good. Do you see why that's not good? I was like, yeah. And, and, and he's like, okay, well, can you not do that again? I was like, yeah. And the tears coming out, you know. I, and I just remember two seconds later, he had this goofy laugh, and he just grabbed me by the shoulder and just goes, <laughs> in uh, the Dave kind of way that he would always do. Uh, he just really high-pitched, which is funny because he was like late 50s dude with gray hair, you know. And uh, yeah, and I just remember looking back on that moment, I was just like, what do I do with that, you know? I was so, like, shaken by, like, kind of like a, like a gentle but direct rebuke. But I just remember the next handful of times I saw him after that, he was so active to communicate his care and that everything was cool, you know? I, he'd come up and grab me on the shoulder and do this, <laughs> this guy, you know, laugh that he did. And uh, that was really formative to me. He spoke truth to me in a loving way, and that was really influential on my life. You know, I remember there was uh, another guy named Ryan. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I really struggle with being a perfectionist, and I really shut down if I don't do things perfectly. And I remember one time in high school, ironically, at the same camp a couple years later, he was in college at the time. I was a high school kid. He sat me down. And he's like, dude, grace is a real thing. You're okay. You need to take a chill pill. And that was formative for me. That, that really impacted me. You know, I, I think of another person named Leslie an older lady that also served in that same youth group. And I just remember, not a specific conversation, but I just remember every time walking in the door, she knew your name and she was happy to see you genuinely, not in a fake way. I remember if there was a junior high girl who was like having a really hard time, we'd bring them to Leslie because she was just so gentle and caring um, for different people in hard seasons. And while that wasn't an individual moment, just the way she spoke was formative to me. You know, I, I had a buddy named Rob me and him had a conflict that went on like subtly for like a couple years, and we kind of didn't like each other. Uh, and I remember one time he came up and he confessed and asked for my forgiveness for that, even though I probably was more at fault than he was. And I just seen his humility and the way he talked and just humbled himself before me, that was formative for me. He's actually one of the few friends from high school I actually keep in touch with, which is funny. Um, that was all formative. And you know, how about you? What were the moments, if you could just go back and think, like, what were those moments where people said something to you that that was really just structural in your life? Uh, were they good? You know, maybe some of us think of really hard things, really heart hurtful words. Maybe even for some of us, even traumatic experiences where someone said something really hurtful or for a really long period of time. 
You know, maybe we think of moments where just someone saw something, a gift in you, and said that, spoke that out loud, and that actually changed your life trajectory. Uh, what were those moments that were crucial for you as a person? What were those moments that were crucial for your faith, either positive or negative? You know, who are the people that, that God used to speak into your life to actually show you the love of Christ, where that connected? Uh, who are the people that spoke into your life and that was destructive? Really hard. Um, that's what we're talking about. Um, which raises the question, how about you? So we're talking about how people speak to us. How do you speak to others? You know, if I could pull 10 people in your life from various seasons, what would they say about the way you talk? You know, would they have positive speeches? You know, would they say positive things? Would they say negative things? Would they say, I don't know. <laughs> they don't really say anything, right? What would they say? Um, so today, we're actually going to camp out in one verse. So and we're going to jump around. So if you have a Bible, we'll be jumping around, flipping around a little bit, because I don't know how to talk about one verse for 35 minutes, um, if I'm being honest. Uh, but we're going to sit in one verse, and we're just going to break it down really quick. And my, my uh, goal, my hope, is that as we talk about what does it mean to love through the way we talk, that the Holy Spirit would come and would encourage you guys would remind you of, of things and thankful moments that, that God has used to use other people, that he would convict you of moments that you don't sp- talk the way that you should, and he would bring specifics in those, that he would bring people in your mind that you need to apologize to, that I pray that he would convict you to also step into things that you're not currently doing, that if God lays something on your heart that you should be doing that you're not, that he would do that. So, uh, so yeah, before we get into that, you guys can open your Bible to the book of Ephesians, one of my favorite books, um, and it's going to be on the screen. But Ephesians 4.15, so it says this. So this is a Pauline epistle, which means Apostle Paul, early church founder, wrote these short letters to early churches, just kind of like, hey, this is what the gospel is, and this is how it impacts your life. And so this is one of the things in that book. He says this. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in the Christ. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Uh, pray with me. Uh, Father God, we need your help this morning. Uh, Lord, we are insufficient uh, to grow in and of ourselves. Uh, Lord, you said that you are love. And Lord, if we, uh, which means we need to define love as you define it, Lord, which means we need to follow you and grow in you by your power. And so, Lord, I pray your spirit would come and meet us this morning, because otherwise this is a fruitless endeavor. Um, so give me clarity and give everyone hearts to hear um, your word, not my thoughts. In your holy name, amen. Amen. All right. Ephesians 4.15. So we're going to talk about three things. I'm going to break it down real easy. We're going to talk about rather speaking the truth. So the action the means, the mode, speaking the truth, rather speaking the truth, in love, which is the qualifier. So the, the means in which you speak the truth, right? It's in love. And then the last thing is we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, which is the goal. So rather speaking the truth. All right, so the Bible nerd in me uh, has to deal with that R word, rather. So if you guys remember seventh grade English class, you remember that word's called a conjunction. So is a conjunction, which means it's connecting to the previous thought. And so specifically, the word rather is contrasting the previous thought. So speaking the truth, 
So rather speaking the truth. So this means that you're, doing, you're speaking the truth instead of something else. It raises the question, what is the something else? So if you can go back a couple of verses, this is what Hebrews, or Ephesians 11 through 14 says. So it says this. He says, and he gave us apostles, and he being God, gave us apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So essentially, God gave his church spiritual gifts. He gave different people different giftings to do different things in the church. This is an exhaustive list, which we'll see here in a couple minutes. Um, but he gave, he gave gifts to the church to build up the church until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and of every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Think about that. So essentially God gave spiritual gifts and he gave these things uh, so that we'd be no longer tossed to and fro by the waves of every wind of doctrine, right? That that is just kind of the world that we live in, that we're, you know, it's, I kind of like it. It's like we're in a whirlpool, and it's so easy, especially younger in life, you know, it's so easy to just be pushed that this thing hits you or someone says this word and just wrecks you or someone says this thought that's not true and it influences you, right? And we're just being tossed to and fro by the waves and God gave gifts so that we didn't have to no longer do this. Um, and, you know, I think when we think of doctrine, that's a big Christianese word, you know, I think we think of like... Uh, you know, the covenant theology versus dispensational theology and whether you know, you know, like, we think of like big terms that only people who study these things in academic circles know about. No, this is just kind of basic beliefs. This is everything from who Jesus is to when your kid's freaking out, why they're freaking out, right? These are just the basic beliefs of our life. So, our, so which means that we're speaking the truth so that we would no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves of every wind of doctrine. Um, which this tells me a couple things. This tells me, first, our speech is formative. Uh, you know, this is just basic observation. We all know that the way we talk influences each other. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Uh, counseling would not exist if that was true, right? Amen? Uh, you, know, the, you know, we can say that all day long, but words influence each other. And not only do words influence each other, but our our natural state is if, if we don't say anything, we're still being influenced by words. Actually, to not say anything is actually to say something, right? And that depends on your relationship. Like, if I don't know you and I don't say anything to you, that's not going to affect you. But if I'm your dad and I don't speak to you, or if I don't speak certain things to you, oh my gosh, does that affect you? Yes, it does, right? Um, our speech is formative, um, so the question is, so, which means that if our speech is formative, that means there's no middle ground. So we're either wave makers, you know, we're either the person causing the whirlpool um, or the, we're the person that's helping others to swim. So, 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 so yeah, so we're either, you're either one or the other. Neutral isn't really a thing. So unless you don't know the person. So um, it tells me another thing. So. To speak truth, you have to know truth. So, you know, I, I think when we think about being tossed to and fro by the waves of every wind of doctrine, about lies in our culture, about beliefs that aren't true, uh, I think what's interesting is that 
uh, most lies actually have truth to them, which is why it's so confusing. It can be really hard to navigate certain situations, right? You know, I think there's like basic ethics things that like aren't hard to navigate. Like Hitler was wrong, right? You know, we're 21st century Americans. We can see that. Like that was really, really bad, right? But there's other things that are really hard. Talk about meaning, purpose, morality, uh, just like what is life about? How to talk to someone who, uh, that you're in conflict with, right? These are nuanced things. So to speak truth, we have to know truth, which raises the question, what the heck is truth? Well, Jesus says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not even just that Jesus speaks truth, it's that he is truth. He also, John says this earlier in the book. He says, John 1, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Um, you know, we are subjective human beings, right? Is anyone all-knowing in this room? No, right? You don't know all things, right? Uh, includes me. I wish I did, but I don't. Uh, so how, as you as a subjective human being, can say anything objective, period? Massive philosophical problem, right? You know, you know philosophers have gone over that question over and over and over and over again. And the answer for the Christian is actually really easy. It's Jesus. It's not that me as a subjective human being can say anything objective in myself, but me through relationship with not just someone who knows all things, but someone who created all things, who sees all things, that through relationship with him, I can actually quote his words and actually say objective things. I can actually trust things like the laws of logic. I can actually trust things like the continuity, the the continuation of the natural cycle in nature and trust things like the scientific method. I can do all these different things. I can know what is good and evil. Not because I'm smart enough in myself, but because I know Jesus who knows all things. Um, so to know truth, it's, it's not just about intellectually being able to affirm things that are philosophically true, but it's actually knowing Jesus. Which raises the question, do you guys know your Bibles? You know, I, you know, the reason why I'm preaching from Scripture and not just from a good book is not just because it's good poetry, even though I think the Bible's brilliant, you know, even if you don't believe any of it's true, like, they're brilliant writers. Um, however, that's not why we do it. No, we do it because this is God's Word. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's from His mouth that even though it's through the words of men, it is somehow ultimately from Him, which is why we need to let that influence us. So if you're going to speak truth to your neighbor, do you actually even know what truth is in the beginning? Because we all believe things. We all speak things. We all go in from that. But is your concept of even what truth is, is that formed by God on his terms or is that formed from our own subjectivity? So, Because your own subjectivity might have things that are right. But we can't be nuanced until we actually sit at the feet of Jesus and say, God, how do I even think about this? So uh, if there's a plug to read your Bibles, do it. If you don't know where to start, come talk to me. I love it. I'll give you a passage. I'll, I'll walk with you through that. I love sending emails about that or meeting with people and talking about the Bible. Um, so to speak truth, you got to know truth. It also means something else. Action is insufficient to love well. It is true. Actions speak louder than words. That is very true. Um, if you are so loving and kind 
um, and true and uphold justice and do all these great things with the way you talk, but you are a jerk with the way you act, your words mean nothing. That is true. However, the opposite is also true. That if you are loving in the way you act, that you do things that are sacrificial in the way you pour into people, but you tear down people with the way you talk, you're also not loving. Actions are insufficient. And because if we don't speak when we should, uh, then we're actually, then people are just going to be tossed to and fro. We're actually not stepping into what God has designed us to do. Um, You know, I, I think Scripture commands us to speak. So Hebrews 3 says this. He says, but exhort one another daily, as long as it's called today. Is today called today? That's not a rhetorical question. Is today called today? Yes. Yes, right? It is today. So exhort one another. Or go read Hebrews 3 to see what he's talking about. 1 Thessalonians 4, therefore encourage one another. Mm. Have you spoke words of encouragement? Therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Romans 10 says this. He says, how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Christians are called to share the gospel. Do you actually speak the gospel to people when God gives you opportunity? Because if you don't do that when you get, off, when you get opportunity, then how are they going to hear? How are they going to respond to Jesus? And this is one of my favorites. He says, Paul in Colossians 3 says this. He says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your, gratitude in your hearts. It is a scriptural command to sing at one another. Sing at each other. So, you know, we don't just sing songs just because we're supposed to. Um, it's actually part of it is actually encourage each other, to challenge each other, to remind each other that this is a corporate experience. We're actually commanded to sing one each other. So, so action's insufficient to love well. Uh, Adam's going to preach on action, and that's very, very important. Loving through action. That's next week, so just stay tuned. Um, you know, um, so which means that if you're not speaking when you should, that's not really love especially when it comes to confronting somebody when you should, uh, which we'll talk about. So speaking the truth. We've got to speak the truth. Our speech is formative. To speak truth, you have to know truth. Action is insufficient to love well. All right, so this is the big one. In love. Uh, you know, have you known someone who speaks truth in the sense of they will say things that are propositionally correct? They say things that are philosophically accurate, but they're just mean. We all know somebody like that. Uh, I've been that person. Hopefully, hopefully I haven't been that person to you, but if I have, I apologize. Um, you know, I think uh, to speak truth and love is, it, without love, is useless. And if anything, it's not building up, it's actually destructive, right? It raises the question, what does love look like? What is love, right? What is love, baby, don't hurt me. Uh, I genuinely don't think I've ever heard a sermon on love where that song's not quoted. I genuinely don't. So uh, with the exception maybe last week, I don't know. if Did you sing that, Adam? No, he didn't. So I take it back. I lied. I did not speak the truth to y'all. Um, so raise the question, what is love? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 actually says a lot of things about love. You guys have probably heard this at weddings. It's a really famous passage. Um, love is patient and love is kind. Do you cut people off when you speak? Um, do, you, do you say a lot more things than ask questions? Are you patient with people? 
you know, uh, if, you, if I just talk to people you've gotten conflict with this last year, but they say your speech is kind, are you gentle in the way you talk? Um, do you consider the other person with your speech? Uh, when you say something hard to somebody, do you bring up every single thing? Or are you patient with it? Love, it does not envy or boast. Do you talk bad about people? People you're envious of? Do you sit on Facebook and see someone who got something or did something and then you say something bad about them to someone else around you? Do you actually avoid someone that you're jealous of? Or don't talk to them in the way you should because you're envious of them? That's not love. This is one I struggle with. When you speak, do you always present the best version of yourself? Are you always the hero? When you're in conflict, are you always the one that is being offended, not the offendee? I think, uh, I think it's interesting. I can usually tell when I'm feeling really insecure in a season because I usually start dogging on other people. I start dogging on other churches. I will start dogging on other musicians because I'm envious and it's a lot easier to, instead of dealing with my sin and my unloving nature, it's a lot easier to just be envious or boast about myself. Do you envy or do you boast in your speech? Love is not arrogant or rude. Are you quick to apologize? Um, You know, I think... uh, we're all going to be rude in the way we talk sometime in this room. And if you are, if you're not, like there's going to be some moment, you're never going to be rude again in the way you talk before you die. You're probably the godliest person I've ever met. So please come talk to me and tell me how to live my life. I need some help. Um, But most of us, if not all of us, are going to be rude again. Are you quick to apologize when you are? Do you you, uh, just assume you're right? Do you acknowledge your subjectivity when you talk? Do you talk in a way that you assume how the other person feels, that you assume what the other person thinks, and you assume the motives of why somebody does something? You know, one of, when I do marriage counseling, one of my just communication ground rules is you can say this. You can say what happened, how you felt, um, or anything you did. But what you cannot say is you cannot say, uh, or sorry, you can talk about what happened, what was explicitly said, and how you felt. You cannot say what the other person was feeling, why the other person said something, or, you know, motivations, means, thoughts. You can't assume anything about the other person. You'd be shocked how quickly, how much that happens. I think it's funny when I saw that in marriage counseling, I realized how much I do that. Do Do you assume you know everything and why everyone does everything around you and why they do it and the reasons they do it for? Are you arrogant in the way you speak? That's not love. You're rude. Love does not insist its own way. Um, Here's an interesting one. Do you you contextualize the way you talk? Do you talk to everybody the same and expect them to get on your boat versus getting on theirs? You know, I think uh, 1 Timothy, I think it's 3, says this. It says, uh, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as you would a father. And treat older women, women as you would mothers, younger men as you would brothers, and younger women as you would sisters in all purity. 
And that was Paul talking to uh, Timothy, who was kind of a pastor guy. Um, and, you know, you, essentially, it's like you got to talk to different people in different ways. I remember early on when I was a worship leader, I interned at a church, and there was an older gentleman on the team. And even though I felt like I was a way more competent musician, I was on staff, I, I knew what I was talking about, and I had more musical experience than he did, uh, I talked to him in a way I would a younger musician who's my age. And that did not go well. And I think initially I blamed him for it, for not just getting on, on my train. No, I insisted my own way. That was not loving. Do you contextualize? You know, if someone's mourning, do you speak happily to them when it's inappropriate? If someone's happy and you're not feeling happy, do you, instead of rejoicing in their happiness, do you bring the conversation down? You know, I think of uh, my buddy Brandon. One time we had good news. I don't remember what the news was, um, but I remember me and my wife Amanda came up to him with good news at some point in time. And I just remember he got so excited. That felt so awesome. You know, I was just, we shared good news and he just was freaking out. It had nothing to do with him. It barely affected his life. But he was just so happy for us. I felt love. That was formative. Um, are you that way? Do you rejoice with those who rejoice? Do you mourn with those who mourn? Uh, do you seek to match other people instead of just bulldozing people with how you're feeling in that moment? You know, if we polled the people that you conflict with the most, what would they say about this one? Would they say that you insist, do, that you insist your own way? Or would they say that they feel, even when you guys disagree, that they feel considered. Love, it is not irritable or resentful. Mm. Do you get snippy when you're tired? I get really snippy when I'm tired. Uh, do you just bite back? Do you raise your voice just based on the flow of the day, right? Married people? Anybody? right? Uh, roommates, brothers, sisters, especially if you're growing up, good friends, you know? We're usually not snippy with strangers, but we can be snippy with friends or coworkers we spend a lot of time with. Uh, do you, in conflict, do you get historical? Do you bring up, if, say, you guys are in conflict about something, you and a friend's, you and whoever, right? Uh, do you bring up every fault that they've ever done? You know, it sounds kind of ridiculous from a distance to me, but then I realize how easy that is to do. Hey, you hurt me here, and you've been doing this for five years, and man, you know, it's because of this, and you're just like this person when you did this, you know? And oh my gosh, you did this. And you also said this about my sister 10 years ago. You know, like, do you get historical? Or do you just deal with the thing that needs to be dealt with? When we get historical, we're resentful, and we're actually trying to enact justice. And Jesus took justice on the cross. So that's not from us. You're resentful in the way you talk. Love does not rejoice. Sorry, that's supposed to be at wrongdoing. But rejoices with the truth. Um, love does not condone sin, but it forgives it. It does not enable it, but it is patient amidst it. You know, our, our culture doesn't get this. 
we feel like if we're going to be loving to someone, we have to affirm every single bit of that person. Take me as you are, right? That's actually not loving. However, if you're a jerk about that, that is not loving. If you're not patient, if you're not gracious, if you're not acknowledging your own subjectivity, if you're not doing all these other things before this, if you're not gentle, then yeah, that is not loving. However, to, to, enable, to enable things or to condone it, that's, that's, that's not okay. Um, being patient and accepting, being patient towards evil and accepting evil are two different things. So, and this isn't just, uh, you know, just basic, you know, ethics when it comes to, I mean, p- film the topic, right? Um, but it's also just like, yeah, uh, just, yeah, I could talk about that for a long time, but I'm not going to because we've got 35 minutes. Um, you know, do you, I, I think something's interesting about this, rejoices with the truth. And we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about whatever his thoughts are aligning with those things. Does, do you find aligning you with Jesus is a begrudging task? Or do you rejoice with it? Because I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to speak lovingly until you do. Uh, do you rejoice with the truth? Do you rejoice with Jesus? Do you like it when you and God disagree? And you get to, and you get to go on the path of walking with him and through that. Loves, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Um, you know, I, bears all things and endures all things. Uh, those kind of go together, you know. Do you walk out in the middle of conversation? Are you the person that you're in the middle of the heat, heat of conflict and gets mad and you just leave? Um, are you the person that hangs up? Do you, how, how many times in your life have you hung up the phone on somebody? in a heated conversation. You know, I, I do think it's actually wise at many times when you're heated, you're like, hey, like, I'm not thinking clearly right now. I'm getting elevated. Uh, can, can we, can I just go spend some time by myself and work through this, and then can we come back and talk in a more loving way later? Can we table this conversation until I get my brain underneath me? That's a wise thing. But to just say, ah, da, 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 ah, slam the door, walk out, right? <laughs> so... That's not endures all things. It's not bears all things. Uh, with people that you have to say the same thing over and over and over again to. Maybe if you're a parent, you have a kid that you're just like, man, put the stupid dishes away, right? Do you endure? Are you patient? Do you bear that? Or do we feel like there's just a time limit? Or, you know, should I forgive them with my speech only seven times? Jesus said 70 times seven, right? Uh, which was just a big way to say a billion, you know, a trillion, endless. Just the first century way to say that. You know, this is a weird one. Uh, believes all things, hopes all things. Has that, ever, has that ever confused anybody? Honestly, it's confused me. And I didn't really think about it until about a year ago, maybe two years ago. Because uh, it's like, hopes all things, believes all things. You know, if I saying, this is a tree, this stand is a tree. I am believing all things, right? You know, no, that's ridiculous, right? So what does he mean? Um, I think it means two things. Uh, I, think, I think it means this. I think, do you believe the best about others? Do you assume the best? That there's a realm of possibility within something. Do you assume the worst, that they meant the worst, that they thought the worst, that they did this for the worst reasons? Or do you assume the best about others? 
You know, it might be. In actuality, it might be the worst thing. But love, when you don't know, assumes the best. Uh, do you view the glass half full with other people? Do you talk in a way that is pessimistic, not wise, but pessimistic on whether or not God can actually bring redemption into their life or change the way they live or whatever, right? You know, there's wisdom. You know, I, you don't, if someone's drastically hurt you, you know, you don't just go in unwise all the time, right? And that's a very contextualized situation. If you're confused about that, come talk to me. I would love to talk about with you and your situation. Um, However, do you, do you talk in a way that assumes that God can't redeem this person or God can't redeem you or God can't change this behavior in someone else's life? Do you talk in a way that talks like that? That's not love. Love hopes all things, believes all things. Um, you know, if there's anything in this list that God convicted you about, brought up specifics in your brain, uh, bring those before the Lord and take whatever steps that God laid on your heart. So, because the Spirit does that kind of thing all the time. Uh, good, just exercise. Uh, I, do, I try to do this occasionally. Uh, switch the word love with your name. Uh, Nick is patient and kind. Nick does not envy or boast, right? And then I usually, it's, I'll have people even write down what doesn't stick, <laughs> what's actually not true, and ask for God to help you with that. So, which brings us to the last chunk. Rather, speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Uh, this is the goal. So we're not just trying to generally grow as people and say nice things. You know, that's a good thing, though. You know, if people are nice and you nice, people just grow up whether they know Jesus or not. Um, but that's not the ultimate reason why we do it, uh, at least in the church. Um, so which means that if this is the goal, growing up into Christ, and that means if it doesn't fit this, if it doesn't go to this end, then it's better to shut up and not say a word than it is to speak. You know, I remember we had this big conflict with a bunch of friends my senior year of high school to the point where we had to have someone sit down with us and mediate. And, you know, I felt very wronged in the situation. I thought people were blowing things out of proportion. And so I was ready to go in there and in my uh, debative stance, you know, just go in and tell the reasons why this is all ridiculous and say all these things that were really going to hurt people, you know, because in the ways we felt hurt. Um, and I remember I read Philippians 2. If you're looking for a good Bible passage to sit in, just go read Philippians 2, especially before conflict. And I just remember just being convicted about how Jesus interacted with us um, and how that is a model for how we're supposed to interact with the others. And I just remember realizing, like, all I'm going to do is enact justice. All I'm going to do is make these people feel like crap or get them angry at me. And this will turn into a shouting match. Um, and I realized my goal wasn't to grow them into Jesus. My goal was to attack someone who I felt attacked by. Um, so it was actually better for me to stay silent on those things. And I did. And God blessed it. So... Um, you know, we're calling people towards Jesus, not just respecting you more. Um, so, growing into Jesus, that's a weird phrase. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying people should grow into Nick. 
You know, we don't use that in normal language. So which raises the question, what, is, what the heck does that mean? I think one of the things it means is it means that we, ref, we reflect his character more. Uh, sorry, I, I cut off the word more on accident. We reflect his character more. So, you know, think about if, and I have no idea how much you guys know your New Testaments, um, but just think about Jesus, stories of Jesus. Think about the way he talked. You know, I think of John 4 when he talked with this woman at the well, that he was so patient and kind and gentle uh, to a woman that in his culture, that was like massive no-no. One, you don't talk, and two, if you talk, you're kind of mean. That was the normative of his day. And he was so gentle and patient that he spoke truth. He didn't condone the fact that she had five husbands and slept and was sleeping with a dude who wasn't her husband. She, he didn't condone that fact, but he was patient and gentle in it. You know, I think of, I think of the way that Jesus talks um, to broken people that came to him. I think of the way he talked to Zacchaeus, a tax collector. How gentle and gracious he was and he ate with him. You know, we, Jesus is famous for hanging out with the, you know, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, right? Which was the ancient version of saying like the, the people looked down upon most in their day. Um, you know, Jesus upheld justice. Isn't that crazy? You know, I think we think of loving but we don't think of social justice in that. Jesus advocated for the poor. When the temple had money changing, changers in it, and it was essentially this economic system that was essentially secluding people from the nations and secluding people who were impoverished from coming and worshiping God, that he came in and he flipped tables. The only time Jesus ever did something like that was in extreme cases within God's people where there's extreme injustice and racism, and classism. You know? Jesus spoke so powerfully, so potently, that people came and he just disarmed people in such a wise but loving way. Uh, that means we reflect his character. This is what we're going into. That patience, that love, that care for God's heart and speaking it. Um, you know, I think something that's interesting too is this looks different for every one of us. The way I'm supposed to speak the truth in love is a lot different than you're supposed to speak the truth in love. Uh, Ephesians 4.16 says this. So this is the verse right after 4.15. He says, Christ, so this is the last word from 15, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow that it builds itself up in love that we are part of a body that every joint, every piece, every muscle, every sinew, every bone, every whatever other things are parts of the body, right? Eyeball, uh, tooth, um, <laughs> you know, fingernail, uh, you know, that we are each a part of this. And if you are a Christian, God has uniquely given you through his spirit a unique way in which he wants to use you systemically in his body, in his church. So, if you have the spiritual gift of encouragement, do you encourage people? If God lays things on your heart where you see things that people need to hear, that people need to, to hear that would encourage them, that would spark courage in them, which is literally what that means. You know, if you see encouraging things and you don't speak that, speak it. If you have the gift of hospitality, are you on Sunday mornings or community group or whatever, are you specifically seeing people who are sitting by themselves and going and talking to them in a loving way? 
If you have the gift of a word of wisdom, you know, I think that's mentioned in Corinthians. Uh, are you involved in an LTG? Do you get coffee with people? Do you ask questions about what's going on in people's life? Are you a resource for people around you? Um, you know, if you have the gift of mercy, uh, I don't know how speech would happen in mercy. Are you, are, you really, do you, are you really patient in the way you speak? Do you surround yourself with people that are hard to love and you make sure that you are patient in the way you talk? I don't know, fill in the blank. So this goes for spiritual gifts. This goes for life, you know? You know, if you are a mom of four, you know, the opportunities and the way God is calling you to speak love is different from if you're a single dude, you know, who's 21. So, and just learned that you can own more than two spoons, you know? Uh, I had fun facts. I, had, I owned one spoon before me and Amanda got married. So, yeah, amen. Uh, it's wisdom. Uh, you know, are, are you taking advantage? You know, God never calls us to do, to do something we don't have, right? You know, he doesn't, call, like, he doesn't call you to donate a bulldozer. This is a ridiculous example. He doesn't call you to donate a bulldozer to a charity if you don't own a bulldozer, Right? Um, however, with what he has given you, with the way he has equipped you, does your speech give love? Uh, so if you, you know, maybe if there's some distant relative that's committing adultery and leaving their family, you're probably not the person to confront them. However, if that's your best friend, who's also a Christian, if you don't speak, are you actually being loving? Are you actually taking care of their family? Are you actually loving your friend well? Are you enabling it by staying silent, Right? You know, that's a kind of extreme example, but that happens all the time, you know? So mode of life, this looks different for each one of us. So how you specifically, how does God want to use you to speak love? Um, and I realized I kind of jumped the gun. Um, so this means that we reflect his character more, that we grow into Christ and grow into the person that Christ would have us be that reflects him in our own unique way. But it also means that we grow by trusting in him. Uh, Christian growth never happens because we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or we just try harder. No, it happens because we have a God who died for us and is willing to walk with us. You know, I love Galatians 3. It says, Paul rebuking the Galatian church about something. He says, did you receive the spirit of God, aka become a Christian? Did you enter the new covenant community? Did you become a faith? Did you receive the spirit of God by the law or by hearing with faith? Okay, did you do it? Do you receive? Did you become a Christian by doing good things or by hearing with faith? He said, "Hearing with faith." He answers that rhetorical question, "Hearing by faith." And then he says, "But if if that's the way you grew there, do you continue to go? Does the Spirit continue to use you by doing good things or by hearing with faith?" He says, "Hearing with faith." So if you are a Christian, you are in Christ. That is a static reality, and God is going to use His Spirit to grow you. And so the question is, are you going to get on board and actually trust him with it? The spirit is growing, the spirit is working, the spirit is developing, but are you going to follow him with it? We grow by trusting him, uh, not by just pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, which is why I keep asking you guys, what is the spirit telling in your brains? Um, and you know, another way we grow by trusting him more is we actually remember the things that he did. Um, you know, we need to remember who he is, what he's done. We need to remember the gospel. 
And one of the things we actually need to remember is that one time that Jesus actually spoke truth to us in love was actually the night that he sat with a bunch of apostles before he died, sat with the disciples before he died. And he said, this bread is broken. You know, this isn't speaking about something from the Passover, which is what they were celebrating. He says, this is ultimately speaking about me, that my body was broken for you so that you would have life, that my blood was shed so that your sin would be paid for, that the evil would be upheld so you can be free and walk clean. And Jesus spoke truth and love to us, to the disciples of that night, but ultimately to us as we hear the disciples' words to the scriptures. So if you're a Christian, we invite you to come and take communion. If you call Jesus Lord and Savior, we invite you to come and take communion. Remember his love. Remember Christ. Remember who he is. Remember how he's spoken to us. And then we worship him. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you would refrain. However, you can accept him at this very moment um, in, which we, in, in which we would invite you to come. So if that's the case, we'd, I would love for, to talk to you after the service. So let me pray for us. Father God, um, yeah, we, we need your help. Uh, without you, without your power, this is just a useless exercise where we may or may not feel convicted about a couple of things or feel encouraged by a couple of things, but it has no impact on our life. Uh, God, I pray that uh, as we hear your word, as things that were actually of you and not of me, Lord, I pray that that would actually change the way we walk. And I pray that we as a church would actually be more loving from this moment on. Uh, Lord, I pray that that would manifest in a handful of specific conversations this next week, uh, specific actions. Um, yeah, God, thank you for the cross. God, thank you that while we live in a world where there's so much lies, so many things that aren't true, um, so many hurtful things that are actually more formative to us in some ways, God, I thank you that you spoke love to us, that you sent your spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, that we get to call you Father. Um, so God, walk with us daily. Um, yeah, and I don't know what to pray for beyond that. So pray this all in your holy name. Amen.